All right, our scripture reading from Isaiah chapter 61. We'll read verses 8 through 11 before Matt comes to share. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations, and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Good morning and Merry Christmas. It is the seventh day of the Christmas season, so I trust you all received your seven swans of swimming from your true love on this, the first Sunday. Of, that's it, the seventh day is swans, right? Nobody knows. Swans, okay. Thank you. Ronald Rollheiser has said that our society knows how to anticipate an event, but not how to sustain it. Perhaps that is nowhere more evident than the Christmas season. So one of the things we hope to do is to resist the impulse to move on to the next thing too quickly. This is why we were singing songs uh, about the birth, about the arrival of Jesus. Um, we want to resist that impulse. Also today, we are going to continue to focus, to ponder the mystery of incarnation. Note, I did not say explain or understand the mystery of incarnation, but we do want to ponder again the mystery of the incarnation. However, I want to do that today with the cultural holiday, New Year's Eve, as the backdrop for our conversation. That's today, in case you didn't know. To be honest with you, since I was a kid, this has been my least favorite, one of my least favorite holidays of the year. Perhaps that's why the opening uh, lyric, that opening track from Death Cab for Cutie's 2003 album, Transatlanticism, has always been a personal favorite to spin on New Year's Eve, at least for the past couple of decades. The al if you know it, you, you know where I'm going. The album opens with the lyrics, so this is the new year, and I don't feel any different. Happy New Year. This is the new year. Uh, the, the second verse begins similarly. So this is the new year, and I have no resolutions. Again, Happy New Year. Amen. Can anybody else relate, though? It, maybe I'm the only New Year's Eve Grinch, and that's fine if so. And I am, to be fair, overplaying it a bit. Um, it's not as severe as I've described. And my ambivalence about this holiday isn't about the parties. It's not about hanging out with, with other people. I actually love that part of it. I generally have a great time at New Year's Eve parties. So if any of you are having one, I am available. I understand this is not the best way to land a spot on an invite list to any of your parties. Don't invite that guy. He'll really put a damper on the festivities. 
I'm not trying to be overly cynical about this, but it, it, in my experience, it has seemed like a rather hollow holiday uh, that has, for me anyway, little lasting impact. I, I don't know, maybe I just prefer holidays with a bit more substance to them, you know, something like Valentine's Day. Um, I'm just joking. Comedian Pete Holmes has, has said of uh, New Year's Eve, um, we do realize that on every day of the year, it has been exactly one day or one year since that date on the calendar the previous year. This is not unique, so why do we make such a big deal about this day? Well, as I've reflected on that question over the past several weeks, trying to prepare my heart for this day, I think we probably make a big deal about this one because there is potentially something rich and substantive about the idea of new beginnings. And maybe in its best possible light, culturally, New Year's Eve is this moment to lean into that possibility of something new collectively. You know, the longer I address this, the more I'm becoming a New Year's Eve fan. I may be fun to have a, at a party after all. But who doesn't like the opportunity for a new beginning, something fresh, something different? Perhaps that's one reason many people like the changing of seasons or, or even something as, you know, menial as a change in scenery. Even simple changes can represent in our thinking the possibility for something new. So perhaps this can be an opportunity for us to lean into that newness, to, to turn a page, so to speak, to close a chapter, to launch into a new season, a new way of life, which is fundamental to Christian faith. Today's gospel text, where I want to turn our attention to today, is the opening thought from the gospel according to John. This is, of course, a very well-known text. It's a common text to be used during the Christmas season. In fact, we return to this every Christmas just about, and, and this year is no exception. And John's story begins in a fascinating way, because it doesn't begin like the other gospel texts. It doesn't begin in Bethlehem or really any geographical locale. Several weeks ago, Austin led us through the opening lines of Mark's gospel. Mark begins his gospel story with, not, not with a birth narrative per se, but with the baptism of Jesus. Matthew's gospel, of course, begins with genealogical details front and center. Luke, on the other hand, what we considered during our Christmas Eve service, Luke provides probably the most straightforward detailed historical account of the events surrounding the birth of Jesus. John, on the other hand, takes a much different approach. John doesn't start his story about Jesus with the baptism of Christ or something that preceded that with the birth of Jesus or even the lineage from which Jesus comes. Instead, John reaches back much further. Then all of those potential starting points, he sets his sights all the way back to the beginning, the beginning of all things, saying this in chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, 
and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We'll pause there and pick it up again in a moment, but clearly from these opening words, this line is mirroring the opening line of the Hebrew Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. But instead of saying, in the beginning, God created, which is what we read at the beginning of our Bible, and likely that would have been the immediate thought of those hearing this opening line from John, but instead John alters it a bit and says, in the beginning was the word. Before our universe, before humanity, before anything we know of our existence, before it all, the word was. So John co-ops Genesis 1-1 to tell his story about Jesus, which is a bold move. When it comes to biblical authors that I would most like to meet, I think this opening line from John puts this gospel author in the mix for my list. Anybody bold enough to mirror the opening lines of the Hebrew scriptures, using them to begin his account. I mean, that is an incredible rhetorical move, but it is more than just an attention-grabbing rhetorical move. Jesus' story actually opens in the beginning. It is a story without a start. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the logos. That word choice is unfamiliar for many modern readers, but was packed with significance for many ancient readers. We, we won't get into too much detail regarding this today, but for some in Greek culture, the logos would maybe elicit thoughts of reason or human intelligibility or maybe even something like order that is seen within the universe. Conversely, for some Greek-speaking Jews, this is a word that may have conjured up images of the activity of their God. There are a variety of meanings, but with all of those potential images swirling around in the minds of some ancient people, John comes along and uses that very common word and it becomes clear as we read John's thought that he is referring to Jesus, the Christ. And as his argument progresses, he makes a couple of declarations about this word, the man, Jesus Christ. First, he declares he was eternally existent with God. Eternally existent with God. But not just with God, like maybe an assistant for a boss carrying around a clipboard and a pen to jot down any notes or carrying around a cup of coffee to make sure the boss is well caffeinated. Not with God like a part of a celebrity's entourage. I've, I've shared that story, I think, about when I got off of an elevator in a hotel and brushed shoulders with Snoop Doggy Dog. You may know him as Snoop Dogg. I, I don't know him that well. Um, not, he was surrounded by his entourage. That's not what John is trying to bring to our minds. John says, no, the word was with God. The word was God. The word was actively involved in creation. The one who is 
actively ordering the cosmos. And then finally, another declaration we find, and this is where I want to turn our attention today, John says, in him, in this creating God, in the man Jesus Christ, in him was life, and the life was the light of man. In him was life. So we don't find in John's gospel a birth narrative proper, Yet, minus some of those historical details, that's what this is taking our attention to. Because as we see down in verse 14, the, this word who is with God in the beginning, this word who was God, actively involved in creation, this word became flesh. This word was born into our world. Now, the story of the faith we are a part of from the beginning, is a story of new births. New births of of human people. Births that often occur in unexpected places, among unexpected people, in situations that seem impossible. Miraculous births, even. New beginnings that we find in hopeless situations are baked into the story we are a part of from the beginning. We don't need to look too far to see this. We see a few notable examples. New births are new beginnings centered around the birth of specific people. Think of Abraham and Sarah longing and waiting for a descendant. Or the birth of Moses, who is clearly an integral figure, incredibly significant in the story, but a beginning that is rather chaotic, a beginning that is uncertain. We think of John the Baptist. Ultimately, of course, our focus during this season is the miraculous birth of Jesus the Christ. The word John points us to, the Messiah. So Christianity, our our faith, is a story of new births. But it's a story of new births, not just in terms of the historical development of our faith. Of course, this story requires these new figures to come onto the scene. The, the faith we are a part of is a story of new births in that sense, but so is any movement. I, any growing family is one that requires new human life. Christianity is a story of new birth in that sense, of course, but, but more than that. I think one of the things John is taking our minds to is that Ontologically, at its, at its very core, central to Christian faith is the possibility of new birth. This is what we sang in the song today, Hark the Herald Angel Sing, born that men no more may die, born to give us second birth. Christian faith is not primarily, or certainly not only, about doctrine or correct thought. It's about something much more rich. It is about the possibility of being born again, the possibility of new birth, an objective change that takes place in the lives of real human beings. I think what is needed most is not only better thinking, but new life. A new heart that is made possible by the Spirit of God. A heart that has been transformed. New heart. 
new spirit. This is what the prophet Ezekiel points the people of Israel ahead to, a day when all of that would come to pass. In Ezekiel 36, we read this, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. New spirit, new heart, a rebirth, the possibility of something unexpected, of something entirely new. Now, we trust that that is made possible in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ and the subsequent outpouring of the Holy Spirit. John opens his gospel by declaring as much in verse 4. In him was life. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So on this, the first Sunday in the Christmas season, we take time to reflect on a mystery that is far beyond our ability to explain or even adequately understand, we want to simply take time to reflect on this truth of the new life made possible in and through this new life born in Bethlehem. A new birth that gives way for the birth, the rebirth of all. This new birth in an obscure, out-of-the-way place makes possible new birth, rebirth for all of humanity, for the whole world. We continue reading in verse 9. John says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. To those receive him, who receive him and believe in his name. A new beginning. Is possible. A new birth is possible, born into the family of God. And that new birth, that new beginning, opens us up to a brand new reality in our day to day lives, a brand new way to look at the world, a new way to understand our lives and our place in that world. Verse 14, again, we, we looked at it a moment ago. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And one of the things I want to be reminded of personally, one of the things I want to encourage you to be reminded of as you enter yet another year, is to remember that we have been invited to live as though Christ's nearness is a reality. And it's a reality that we are invited to embrace every day, embracing the new life he has made possible. This is central to Christian faith. Historically for the church, our baptism includes both a renunciation of the old and a clinging to the new, a daily pursuit 
of that newness. Christian faith is always involving embracing new life. And that new life reality actually makes total and complete demands on our lives. So perhaps this is a helpful way of thinking about the Christian life from the point of conversion and baptism onward. Each morning we awake and we do so by reminding ourselves that we are entering this new day Or maybe we would think of what is occurring in just a few hours. We are entering this new year with a new framework for understanding our existence. Receiving new life in Jesus Christ. Being born again. As John says, born of God, not blood, flesh, or the will of man. It is not only an objective fact in the past, as though we receive our new birth, we are born into the family of God, and then we move on with the rest of our lives, living however we please from day to day. Each day we live is an opportunity for us to accept the new to embrace the new world that Jesus has made possible. Every day is an opportunity to leave the old behind and live into the newness of our baptismal identity. Because as John says, in Jesus is life. In Jesus, we have new birth. The Jesus we celebrate and worship today. This Jesus, longed for by saints of old, foretold through the witness of the prophets, this Jesus we celebrate born in a manger wrapped in swaddling cloths, heralded by shepherds and angels alike. This Jesus, our Emmanuel, God with us, has come to us to be with us in order to open us up to new life. In him was life. So this is what what I want to encourage you with. Something that I have been thinking about for the last month, preparing my heart and mind for this time of year. As you all begin a new year, in just a few short hours, I don't know how many hours it is at this point, 13, something like that. As you begin a new year, may you do so with these simple yet profound truths in mind. What John has reminded us of, the one who receives Jesus Christ, the one who believes in him has been born of God. Your life has been altered. As the Apostle Paul argues in 2 Corinthians 5, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Why? Because in him was life. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And that means the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. May you enter the new year with new inspiration, with new resolve to live into your new identity. Not just as an objective fact in the past, but something to be embraced every day, to continue to renounce the old, to continue to walk in the new. May you enter the new year 
with renewed willingness to allow the life of Christ to permeate every aspect of your being, your vocation, your leisure, your social interactions, your contributions to the community of faith. The future is bright with new possibilities. As we look to yet another year, the year 2024, the future is bright with new possibilities. And I know that sounds incredibly cliche. Just embrace it. I don't mean that. uh, I'm not trying to say that the future is going to be struggle-free or that the best is yet to come or that your wildest dreams will come true. Not at all. The future is bright with new possibilities for new beginnings precisely because anywhere Jesus is present, restoration and new life are happening. In him is life. In him, the night becomes day. In him, our mourning turns to joy and dancing. Anywhere Jesus is present, life transformation is not only possible, but it is happening because he is life. As you reflect on the new birth that Jesus has made possible, as you live your life of faith, continuing to embrace the new life you have received, continue to allow that life to spring up in you and among you. May you, may we, not only enjoy the benefits of new birth, but may we also be conduits of new life for others as we proclaim the righteousness, peace, and joy of God's kingdom. Thanks be to God. Would you stand as we prepare to celebrate around the table of our Lord, a symbol of our walking into newness of life with Jesus himself. In a moment, we'll make two lines down these center aisles after I say a prayer. When you get to the front, somebody will be here to speak over you the words, the body of Christ broken for you the blood of Christ shed for you. Take and receive these gifts of God. Receive the new life that is available to you in Jesus Christ. Let me say a prayer, and then I'll invite you to the table. Lord, we give you thanks today for the words from the Gospel of John. Drawing our attention not just back to Bethlehem, your birth in human flesh, but taking our minds all the way back to the beginning. As we reflect and ponder this reality of the incarnation, our God become flesh. Our God entering our lives to make for us, to open wide the path to life. We express our gratitude We pray that you would strengthen us to not only respond with gratitude, but to respond in faithfully walking into this way of life. And now we pray, Almighty God, you have poured upon us the new light of your incarnate word. Grant that this light, kindled in our hearts, may shine forth in our lives 
through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Would you join us at the table of our Lord today?